my enormous pleasure to welcome to the Truth and Rhythm Mothership saxophonist, flautist, and vocalist Bill Risbrook and guitarist, vocalist Rick Thompson, original members of one of the greatest funk bands of the 1970s, the fabulous BT Express. Yeah. Best known for their consecutive number one smash hits, Do It To Your Satisfied and Express. The group saw all seven of its 1974 to 1982 albums crack the R&B Top 50, with four of those records landing in the top 20. Their other hits and classic tracks include If It Don't Turn You On, You Gotta Leave It Alone, This House Is Smoking, Give It What You Got, Peace Pipe, Can't Stop Grooving, Now Want to Do It Some More, Funky Music, Shout It Out, What You Do in the Dark, You Got Something, Give Up the Funklets, Dance, and Stretch. BT Express also helped launch the careers of two top funk and soul producers in Randy Muller and Kashif. And the group's all-time classic debut album, Do It To Your Satisfied, which is right there, uh, was just re-released. So, hey, with that, let's ride the Express with Bill and Rick. Thank you for joining me. How are you guys? It's a pleasure to be here, my good man. Good. good. Thank you for having me. All right. So, and tell the people where you are today, Bill. Well, right now, I'm in Queens, New York. Uh, You know, I'm, I'm originally... We're from, from Brooklyn, New York. I'm living in Queens now. And uh, I'm just enjoying myself. You know, it's a beautiful day. It's a really beautiful day. It's in the 80, what, about 84, 85. And uh, we had a heat wave there for the last couple of days. But right now, things have calmed down. So I'm, I'm, enjoy, I'm, I'm enjoying the weather while we're here. I'm a summer person. So I like, I like this kind of weather. All right. And uh, Rick, where are you today? Yes, yes. I am in uh, Queens also. I'm a Brooklyn guy. Well, actually, I was from South Carolina, Fairfield, Fairfax, and uh, relocated to Brooklyn, New York. And now I'm uh, in Queens, a place called Jamaica, uh, Queens, New York. As a matter of fact, Riz uh, Bill, I, I'm always calling Riz Brook, you know, because of his brother, you know. So I always call him, but Bill. Yes, sir. We always was pretty close to each other. We always stayed in touch with each other over the years, and sometimes we don't talk to the other members of the group. But Bill and I, we really keep in touch, and he the one told me about today. So here we are. Here I am. Like he said, it's a beautiful day. It's always good to be alive in this day. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. good to be alive any day. <laughs> <laughs> right well, on. Well, gents, I'm so glad to have you. As I was telling uh, Rick before you came on, Bill, I've been a fan since the beginning. So, and and viewers have been wanting the story on the show for a long time. So, it's very exciting to have you here. It's good to be here. Yeah. So, uh, guys, 
you know, um, Bill and your brother, Lewis, now Jamal, who, as you mentioned before, couldn't be with us today, but he's having a good time on his own. Um, from uh, Brooklyn and a musical family. And I know, Rick, you're from South Carolina, I think, as you mentioned, and you came from sort of a more of a blues uh, musical background. Uh, yeah. Can each of you kind of uh, summarize, you know, how you got so deep into music uh, at, at, in your youth? Uh, let's start with Bill on that. Well, uh, my family, I had uh, members of my family who played music. My father played the trombone. My mother played violin and piano, and eventually she used to make money, you know, uh, teaching other people and whatnot in the neighborhood uh, to play piano. I came from a musical family. I had another brother, his name was Robert, and for years he played with local bands. He plays guitar, you know, and then and I started playing music back in public school. I actually started out first with the trumpet. I started learning trumpet first. And then from uh, trumpet, I switched over when I went into uh, to uh, uh, junior high. I, I started in on uh, on what you call it, on the clarinet. They, they, I was I always enjoyed saxophone, but they used to have a rule that in order to play saxophone, you have to play clarinet first. Why? Why that is, I don't know, because they said once you master the clarinet, playing the saxophone shouldn't be that hard. It was something about alternate pinkies or whatever it was. So I did that. And then once I went to high school, I played clarinet in the high school band. Because I don't, I don't know if in that orchestra they even had saxophones. Because, you know, sometimes in the orchestra you don't have saxophones. Okay, but, uh, but I played clarinet. And then later on I switched over on my own. When I went to college, I started back with the saxophone again. So, you know, so it's, it's been a long journey going back to public school, junior high, high school, college. And, you know, like I said, I've enjoyed every minute of it. I've, I, I can't think of anything. I was playing last night, even for my granddaughter, uh, who's, who's in from Chicago. I was playing for her, and she was enjoying it. So as long as I can play, I'm going to play. It's that, it's that hey. simple. That's it. Thanks. Thanks, Bill. And Rick, uh, give us a little bit about your youth in terms of music. Yeah, well, I got just said, you know, I'm from a place called Papak, South Carolina. And, uh, well, we didn't have too much um, musical personality in our um, family. It's just that my brother, you know, he was, he was a blues man. He was a blues guitar player, you know. But during that, my high school years, like Risbrook, I was on trumpet. And, you know, I hate to pat myself on the shoulder, but I was a good trumpeter, you know, because I... I was headed for a scholarship, uh, you know, playing my trumpet. But in uh, every year during the summer, during the high school days, at the end of the, at the high school season, we used to have a, used to call a May Day parade. You know, we used to go down the streets of Fairfax, and it was very hot. It was mainly like 95, pushing 100 degrees, and I was out there in that sun, Playing that trumpet, and I had—I was the lead trumpeter, so I had to hit all the high notes. You know, I had to keep the high notes into it, and it just got too much for me. I told my brother, "Look, I, I, this is it. I'm not doing this no more. I can't stand that sun." You know, so I said, "Why don't you teach me the guitar? I'm a beater because I love music." I said, "Okay." He said, "Okay, get you know." So um, he bought me a little cheap guitar, and we started playing. 
I said, man, he always played the blues. I said, you know, I listened to the, because I was always an R&B man. And I listened to the radio and I heard the Tips and Ohio Players and Cool and the Gang and all those guys, you know. And um, I said, look, that's what I want to do. You know, see, he said, okay, well, just have to practice on your own because I don't know too much of that. So that's what I did. I picked up my guitar, listened to the radio, and I played, I copied everything, note for note, you know. And then once I um, graduated uh, high school, I came to New York. And, you know, I, uh, I loved to take my guitar with me. I took my guitar with me everywhere I went. The house parties, I went to a lot of house parties. And every time I went to house parties back in the days, I used to sing a lot of um, Otis Redding, Sam Cooke. And I used to be the life, life of the party, you know. I just get my guitar, but that's what I love to do. And if you want me to go on, I can tell you how I met King and so on. But that's, I'm going to just stop right now and just say, you know, <laughs> and perfect. let it go yeah <laughs> perfect place to stop because i i wanted you mentioned some influences i wanted to ask bill before we move on you know bill who were some of your biggest uh, musical influences uh, as you got started well I, well, well first of all let, let, let me just say no man no matter how many years you know somebody you can always learn something new i never even knew knew this man was, was such a great trumpet player isn't that something <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah you knew about the man I just, I, I've known this man for over 50 years. I, I just learned something new. Isn't that something? <laughs> the hell well, I, I learned something new, too. I didn't know you played trumpet. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That, that <laughs> See? Christmas, <laughs> I started out on. Oh, yeah. Well, it was was, uh, was uh, uh, the trumpet, then switched over. Now, what was the question you was asking me? Who are some of your biggest musical influences? Uh, Rick had mentioned Ohio Players Cool in the Gang, Sam Cooke, things like that. Oh no! Well, well, actually, when I started out, uh, uh, so, some of the, what were cool, the gang and whatnot. I'm, I think they may have been just getting started, you know. Right. But, but yeah, I was influenced by guys like James Brown and the tremendous rhythm section that uh, he had. And again, guy guys like Otis Redding and people like that, you know, who was out at that time, Al Green and some some of the other ones. As from from a musical standpoint. Some of my favorite saxophone players were people like Sonny Stitt and Dexter Gordon, Sonny Rollins, Illinois Jacket, people like that. Uh, Grover Washington, uh, the who else you got there? You know, you know Stanley Tarantine. Those, those were some of my favorite saxophone players and, and musicians. But as far as like some of the other groups, you know, I was right into that era with the Gladys Knight, with the Gladys Knight folks and. Dion Warwick and people like that, you know. So uh, you know, so you, you listen to all of them and try to pick up some ideas and whatnot that you knew that you can use later on in life. And that's exactly what I did. Learned a lot from listening to the folks before me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thanks for that. And so uh how did you guys meet? We we actually met at at, at a party, uh, a, a backyard party given by our eventual uh, manager, King Davis. King Davis was always giving house parties at his house and whatnot. So sometimes it was free parties, sometimes it was paid parties. But he was, he was always giving it. And uh, and I had uh, come down with my saxophone 
And I, I guess Rick was there with his with his guitar or whatever it is. Right. But that's where I remember the two of us meeting. We actually met at a, 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 a backyard party given by our manager, King Davis. That's the first time I remember laying eyes on Rick, Rick Thompson. That's right. That was just one of those days that, that we met at the party. Like I said, where I love up from, I used to love parties and I always took my guitar with me. And that's how we met in the backyard party with King. I met King Davis there that day too, you know. Mm -hmm. And that's when he said, um, oh, you sound pretty good on that guitar. You know, he said, um, I have a group called um, uh, House Rockers. I said, you want to like come and listen to them? I said, sure, why not? You know, and so one led to the other and I uh, met Bill and and uh, from there, I'll just leave it now for that, for that, until the next part come up, you know? <laughs> because I love to jump ahead. I'm always, my mind is so gross into how we met and everything until I'm just like anxious just to, just to keep going, you know? But I'll wait. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, 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 but some of the other members, too, was King Davis' nephew. His name was Bernard Corbett. He was a drummer. You know, and then and then uh, some kind of way, I think uh, related to him was the uh, female bass player that we had, Jackie Durant, you mm -hmm. know. So, so so we we got started with myself, Rick, Jackie, Bernard, and then later on, other people joined us. Yeah. What kind what was your uh, guitar at that point? What kind of guitar were you playing, Rick? Uh, I had a. Um... What did, what did I have? Oh, Gibson Firebird. It was a one of those guitar looked upside down, you know. A Gibson Firebird always looked backwards, but, but because um, the knobs were different and the, the neck of the guitar was, you know, different. And it's called the Firebird for some reason, like a wing, wing of a bird, you know. But it was a very expensive guitar. Firebird, as a matter of fact, I don't know what happened. That guitar was stolen from me. It was worth a lot of money, but it was stolen in the back of my car. <laughs> my amplifier, the guitar, and everything was someone stole the car. And that's how I lost that. But it was a, a Gibson Firebird. Mm. And about how old were you guys when you met? I, I guess like around 19 or so, somewhere in there, eight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because yeah. we're still pretty close in age. I think I'm a couple of years older than Ridgebrook. Yeah, not too much. <laughs> <laughs> and how how fast did things sort of progress then toward uh, the realization of BT Express being a band? Well, it, it, it took a while because for for the next number of years, we uh, we actually uh, just did a lot of local gigs right there in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan. We, 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 we built up BT Express playing at dances, dances on the weekend, uh, uh, cocktail sips, anniversaries, things like that, birthday parties. We were, just going to interject, but then we were under the name of the King Davis House Rockers. Right, yeah, not BT yeah. Express. Right. Uh -huh. As the House Rockers, did you get to open up for any name acts? Honestly speaking, I can't remember. I can't remember what's really opening up for any big acts. No, we were I, mainly we were mainly just a local band that played for um, 
dances. We used to do a lot of dances. We used to play for a lot of wedding. I think we even played for a divorce once. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, but we was a lo very popular local band, King Davis House Rockers. Did you have any original tunes at that point or just all covers? Just all, mainly all cover tunes. Right. Yes. Yeah. 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 Early on, you know, at a certain point, King did try to take us into the studio, and uh, he had he had, was in contact with a very good songwriter at that time. Uh, his name was Billy Frazier. Billy Frazier. I remember he took us into the studio, and we recorded a song called "We All Make Mistakes Sometimes." Remember that one? Oh, we yes. all mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That was by Billy. Billy. Uh, Billy Frazier. So, so we take a shot. Unfortunately, the song didn't really go any place big, but that was when we, we first went into the studio as King Davis and the House Rock. Yes, so, yes. As a, as a matter of fact, I think I'll send you, I still have it, it was called um, We All Make Mistakes This Time and uh, what, uh, what Do I Have to Do? I think I will send you a copy of those two songs. Right? I Yes, yes. Send me a copy. I like to hear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that'd be fantastic. Fact, I still listen to them. Oh, that'd be great. Um, so, how did you get the record deal with Rocha? Well, actually, or, or Scepter. Actually, we were uh, like like trying to. Um, we were trying to, um, you know, get 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 out there in the mainstream. And uh, I'm trying to think who we met first. I think I think we must have played someplace, and a, a medical doctor heard us. Uh, heard us, uh, uh, Doctor Applebay, uh, right. Coolish Applebay. I think he he heard us playing somewhere. Okay, and he was a gynecologist, and I think one of his uh, one of his patients uh was the wife of our eventual producer Jeff Lane. I think Jeff Lane's exactly. wife what was one of his uh, was one of his clients, you know? And uh and and uh I think the two of them uh, heard about us and they came down. But but it was that Dr. Dr. Coolidge Applebay that actually heard us and came down first. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And um during that section when he heard us Jeff Lane said, you know, you guys sound pretty good, you know. Do you have any original material? We at the time said, yeah, we have something here. But he said, if you guys can just come up with something great and, and present it to me, I would take you in the studio. So that's, if you remember, Bill, that's when we got right. in the basement on Madison Street. Right. And you... Um, uh, with, I think Burnout was on the drums at that time, and okay, and um, and no, it was Tyrell Woods, that was drummer Tyrell, right. right? Yeah, and we came up, we got together, and we came up with something called um, uh, Express. Remember, I just came up, um, Tyrell, the drummer, gave came up baseline, right? Gave Lewis the baseline. Play and Jamal said, Yeah, that's good. And Jamal uh, copied it, and we did now. And the next thing, 
I just would listen to the bass line, and I say, you know, that sounds like a train. It sounds like a train moving. And I said, you know what? I'm going to try and find a, a whistle on the guitar. Uh, you know, so that's when I came up like a horn blowing. Dun, dun, dun. You know, and that we came up with that part. You know, and we put it together and it sounded good. So, you know, from taking on that air, we, we rehearsed it and everything. And that's where we came up with this song. Do it till you're satisfied. But before that, you you, you want to tell them about um Billy Nichols, Jamal. Yeah, well, what 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 happened was uh, Jamal was playing at a, a playing behind a play on Broadway called Two Gentlemen of Verona, mm -hmm. and uh, that was with Clifton Davis and some other people I can't remember, and 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 he was playing the bass and in the rhythm section was a guitar player named Billy Nichols, who was also a writer. And Billy Nichols is the one who actually uh, wrote this song, Do It To You Satisfied. He said, yeah. he was talking to Jamal, he had heard, Billy Nichols had heard us play a few times. And he said he thought this would be a good song for us. And uh, and he brought it down and introduced us to it. And we started playing it. We liked it. King liked it. The producers liked it. And uh, and that and that that's how the song "Do It To You Satisfied" came about. That was actually written by guitar player Billy Nichols. Right. So you had those two songs, and um, what was it like when you first went into the studio? It was fun. It, it was fun because you know that's not something that we had done a lot of in the past. It's not like we recorded a lot of stuff, but it never became a hit. So for us, it was a lot of fun, and. Uh, Jeff Lane, he was connected with some of the other folks from Roadshow Records. Yeah, Roadshow Records like uh, Freddie Frank and Sid Moore and whatnot. Yeah. They're the ones who got us into the studio. And uh, then we just started bringing up with songwriters. We had people like this fellow Sam Taylor uh, who made, what, 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 what did Sam write? Everything good to you ain't always good yeah. for you. Okay, he mm -hmm. wrote Put we it had, in your peace pipe. His biggest song was put it in your peace pipe. That, uh, that was Sam Taylor also, huh? Yeah. I would say, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, uh, he didn't end up getting paid the kind of money they should have paid, been paid for that, those songs. But I guess back in the day, that, that that's how it was. That's how it worked, you know. But uh, but he, he did a lot to help us out as far as songs was concerned. Yes, what what was Jeff Lane like? Well, 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 Jeff, you know, Jeff, Jeff did a good job on us as, as a producer and whatnot. He had a lot of help from another fellow named uh, Randy Muller, uh, who uh, later on was leading the band, the band Brass Construction. Rand, Randy was was really an excellent musician, excellent flute player, and uh, arranger and whatnot. So uh, Jeff, when he went in there, he always used to look to uh randy to to really give him some advice on different things and he did a randy did and this job randy did a great job yeah jeff lane was a heavy 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 on the foot he, mm -hmm. uh, he was heavy on the foot and heavy on the snare he just said give it to me give it to me i don't hear enough of that bass i don't hear enough of that kick give it to me hard i want that groove he used to pound us with it you know and that's why 
his song, you know, like Brack and Chuck and have all that heavy equipment behind him, you know? Right, right. Because he was, he was heavy on that. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you mentioned about bringing the whistle sound to Express, and but that also had that nice, that cool triangle in it and like all those different sound elements made that song so interesting. Yeah, well, you know, it's a sorry. The funny thing about that, each one of us brought our own part. Then it's roll with our percussionist, and he had that little triangle. He said, Dad, try this. Can we leave you the little triangle there, you know? And that worked. The mall said, yeah, it sounded good. We all agree. It sounded good. And I don't know who came up with the train whistle. You remember, Phil? How do we I, got the horn? I, Was it Dennis? I, I really don't know. It, it could have been Dennis. It might have been. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I'm really not sure. Who came up with the idea? The change was Dennis. It was Randy Muller. Uh, no, I'm, I don't think it was Randy. We did all this on our own. That I do know, as yeah, far as yeah. Express. But I yeah. think Dennis Rowe came up with those. I have this old horn, uh, whist, train whistle. I think he brought it down, and we came. Yeah. You know, right? Yeah. yeah. Since since we said it was going to sound like an Express, that we wanted to get something that sounded. You know, reminding people of a train, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, so, so it's probably Dennis, I guess. Then. And then do it to your satisfied. Um, did that require many takes, or you know, how hard was that to get down like that? Well, I, I don't think it, it, it required that that many takes because we, we try to keep it as simple as possible. We yes. try to we try to keep the, the horn lines uh, simple and just the rhythm and whatnot. You know, because. The, the song, the title, and the words pretty much sold itself. Yes. So we didn't have to, to really do much on that, you know. And, and one thing that I found out with success is to keep things simple. Don't try to complicate it. Yes, that was a uh, matter of fact, it was very simple to do that song, you know, because uh, we had everything there. We knew what we were going to do. And, um, it, uh, only thing is, uh, I think someone has told me to put a little bit more ooh into it, you know, before I start singing. That's when I came up with ooh, come on and do it, you know. Yeah. That, but it was simple. It, we knew what it, and, and then didn't take take maybe two or three takes, and that was it. Oh. Right. And the guitar and organ are so great on that. Yeah, that was one of Sam Taylor had. Um, Putting their organ in, I think. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know, I that that was one of the first uh 45 singles that I bought as a kid. Do it you're satisfied. And I remember that colorful roadshow label, you know, right. yeah. it was like a cartoon with the van and stuff and flowers, and it was just uh, an amazing experience. Mm-hmm. Did, did you guys uh, expect it to take off like it did? And how did you feel with the, re with the response? Well, I, I, thought, I thought it was a good record. Honestly speaking, I didn't realize it would go as big as it did. But no. yes, I did think it was a good record. And, keep, mm -hmm. and people around us kept telling us, you guys better get ready for an explosion because the way that the industry is talking about this record, it's really going to be something special. So other people around us, I think, had... A, a more of a take on it as far as how big it would be. I thought it would be good record. I didn't realize it would be as big as it turned out. No. 
No, it gets, I think it got us all by surprise. Yeah. Really. Except another producers. Yeah. But uh, me, like I was driving down Belt Parkway and I heard it. I said, you know, that sound like me. You know? Said, that right. sound like our song. And I turned the radio up. I said, yeah, that is me. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that Was that the first time you heard it on the radio? Yes. Wow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so you heard Express or Do It You're Satisfied first on the radio? I didn't do it. Do It was actually our first big hit. And then what's name? Uh, Express also was on the album that was pulled off second. Yes. You know? And, and, and i tell you the truth. Who we up until this day owe, owe a lot, owe a lot to is a former DJ named Frankie Crocker. We oh. truly owe him our soul because Frankie Crocker was one of the biggest uh, DJs in America at that time, not just in New York, but 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 across uh, across the U.S. And Frankie Crocker, for about three to four weeks, put that whole album on. He just played that album day in and day out, not just a, a one or two records. In other words, that was when the disco era was starting. So the fact that the disco era was starting, everything on our rec on our on that. Uh, album is in the disco mode, and Frank and Frankie Crocker just put that thing on day in and day out. And right. I owe him a lot. He, he passed away. Oh, yeah. We owe Frankie a lot. Oh yeah. The, the yeah. album was was so strong from front to back. I mean, yeah. Did yeah. you guys realize how consistent it was throughout? And just, I mean, it was like one of the greatest debuts of the funk era for sure. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And once we started listening to it, that's when we realized what was going on. Yeah, we realized that, yeah, this this was the disco era between us oh, yeah. and Gloria Gaynor and some of the other folks and the, the tramps and whatnot. That disco era, no question. And, you know, for me, I got the 45 of Do It You're Satisfied. Then I got the album and heard the longer version, which I didn't know until I had the album. And that was like a real wake up call because the extended version is, you know, really something fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well we, we that, that's where you feature more the organ. Yeah, yeah. The organ on that. Oh, yeah. And, and the way the band comes back in, just phenomenal. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, this house of smoke in the closer was like one of my favorites too, and I just wish it was longer. That one. <laughs> I know that was a, it's just a put together song too. It just yeah. quick put together, you know? Right. And it right. turned out to be a good song, you know? Well, I, I think it was just the sound that we had. We had yeah. a certain sound. Yeah, certain yeah. Sound. because you know that that uh, the licks I played on the guitar and that House of Smoking came exactly almost lick to lick from Cool and the Gang. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, like I said, Cool and the Gang, you know, I used to listen to them very get it licking out. That was one of their licks on it. I don't remember what song it was now, but... Um, uh, was that Hollywood Swinging? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, Hollywood Swinging. Yeah. Uh, was it? No. Well, it could have been. But anyway, that House of Smoking, I put the same link and it worked well, perfect. <laughs> so uh, then, did you guys go right out on tour? Uh, what was your you know live performances like uh, based on the first record? Oh yeah, well, 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 not too far past uh, past that. 
is when we went out. I think the first big gig I remember playing was in Savannah, Georgia at Savannah State College. That's the first big gig I remember. I mean, we had thousands of people and enthusiastic college students and other folks. And I mean, I, I knew then it was something special. Yeah. And that's what I, I remember uh, uh, going into Savannah State College. Yeah, and you know, and what what gig I never forget is when we went to Singapore. I don't know if you remember Singapore. Oh yeah, oh yeah. We had to do. We had to pray for the Prince of Thailand. Right, that's right. You know, that, 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 funny, that in, in Bangkok. Yeah, Bangkok. Now, now the funny thing about that, we did. We worked hard. We worked every show. We played our heart out, and at the end of the show. It was quiet. No one did nothing until the prince got up and clapped his hand. You remember? Right. And then right. everybody just went, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whatever everybody else would do. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And so, I'll so never I'm, forget that. So I'm I'm so glad he didn't get up and boo. So we would have been in trouble. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad he got up and talked. <laughs> what? Yeah, it was nice. I know. I'm sorry, Rick. Were you going to add to that? Or? No, I just said I never forget those that that show. You know, because you know it had me really puzzled when we did. You know, at the end of the, each song, I didn't know what to, what to expect. That, well, well, that that yeah, that whole tour was great. That that was we went through every place. We went to Japan. We went to Hong Kong, Thailand, Singapore, Malaysia. Uh, so that was that. that uh, what, what's name got that for us? Uh, I'm trying to think of the uh, that was U Universal uh, Attractions. Uh, Jack Bart, I think it was. Uh huh. Bart, yeah. I, I, I think he's the one who set us up with a lot of uh, a lot of stuff overseas. He he was he was the manager and also the uh, the um, uh, the person who set a lot of things up for the stylistics. He was the manager of the stylistics, okay, and uh, and whatnot. And he uh, he and he, but he also had a uh, company, you know, that the uh, you know that 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 did tours and whatnot. So he's the one who's, who had, he had a lot of connections overseas. Yeah, yeah Universal Universal Attractions. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Now in Japan. You know, they just uh, they just knew they just did every they knew everything about us, every detail, every word for word, every lyric, everything they copied everything in Japan. You know, yeah. they, they could um, I don't know. They just like were there. They knew before we knew what we were doing. <laughs> right. That's how they are in Japan. Oh yeah, yeah. If, if they see anything, they're gonna copy. <laughs> 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 wow what an amazing experience just getting exposed to all those cultures and and feeling like you can reach the whole world like that just must be amazing oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. it was just fantastic just uh, fantastic. Could, could you guys give us a sense of the um chemistry of the band at that time in terms of you know did you guys um socialize a lot together also and what was the the musical chemistry like of the whole unit well, 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 some of us got, got together, you know, we, we weren't like some groups that had a 
tremendous heavy chemistry off stage. No, I wouldn't say that. But like Rick and I used to hang out together, you know, and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And then I guess uh, from time to time, we would get together with things or, or whatever. But no, we, we never really uh, uh, was into a lot of things off stage. No, we were more mm -hmm. uh, playing what we had to play on stage, you know. So mm -hmm. it, was, it was bringing in different folks from different cultures and different backgrounds. I like me and Bill, we used to stick together and Jamal and Kashif or sometimes Dennis, they would say, Carlos was a loner. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Well, but what what's the name was a real good person to be around? Terrell Woods. He was down to earth. Oh, yeah. Tell it like it is, you know, and I really miss him. He passed away. But, but he was okay. was okay. Did you guys spend a lot of time rehearsing and did some song ideas come out of, you know, sort of jamming and rehearsing? Uh, we, 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 we spent some time rehearsing, maybe not as much as we should have. But, uh, but, but from time to time, I guess we came up with, with some ideas, you know, you know, listening to other folks and whatnot. But, uh, but I think by and large, uh, we, we had uh, more outside writers, which I think we could have written a lot more stuff on our own. We would yes. have been a lot better off. Yes. Because Kashif, he was good, but he had his own ideas for his own thing. Right. You know, instead of um, mainly putting things like maybe together for us, because he was a great writer. I don't know if you're familiar with Kashif. Yeah, I know he produced a lot of 1980s, especially yeah. hit records. Uh, yeah. Right. Now, he, when he was with us, he was mainly for himself, writing things for himself instead of for the group that he was in. So, you know, that's why that went in that direction, you know? And I think some of the ideas that he may have come up with, we may not have been ready for it anyway, because I think that... Uh, we, uh, you know, we, we may have thought that it, it was different than what we wanted to do uh, at that time. So I, 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 think, I think that may have been an opportunity uh, missed, too. So, yeah. But hey, that's what great, you know. Yeah. Well, he kind of went in more of a, um, you know, R&B, less of a funk direction on, on his stuff. There's much more to this great Truth and Rhythm interview. Just continue on to the next part of the episode. Also, be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. And become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you very much.